Does your project ever feel like a bit of an elephant? Big, cumbersome, unwieldy, and maybe unmovable? Desmond Tutu once wisely said there's only one way to eat an elephant, and that's one bite at a time. Now, nearly everything that seems daunting, overwhelming, and even impossible can be accomplished gradually just by taking on a little bit at a time. And that is your project champ. So keep listening to today's podcast to discover how you can reduce complexity and confusion on your projects by breaking down the project into bite-sized pieces that everybody can understand. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Ben Ashton, founder of the Digital Project Manager. Welcome to the DPM podcast. We're on a mission to help project managers succeed, to help people who manage projects deliver better. We're here to help you take your project game to the next level. Check out the digitalprojectmanager.com to learn about our training and resources we offer through membership. This podcast is brought to you by Clarison, the leader in enterprise project and portfolio management software. Visit clarison.com to learn more. Today, I'm joined by Emily Lurbrex. You can check her out at mthepm.com. Now, Emily is a project manager at Siemens and has worked in the past as a PM for Mazda, BDO, and been on the PMI's Community Champions Advisory Group. So she's got stacks of interesting experience. Welcome to the show, Emily. Hi there. Thank you very much for having me. And how did I do with your surname there? Give me a rating. Oh, 10 out of 10. (laughs) That was actually really good. Oh, yes. Nailed it. So, um, I mean, we were just chatting before the show uh, started rolling there. But um, tell us what's new for you in terms of, uh, I mean, we were talking about juggling, being full-time parent and a full-time employee in the midst of uh, corona. How's that working out for you? How is it working out? How is it not working out? Um, it is, it is crazy. You know, I think, you know, I'm doing what I consider to be two or three full time jobs right now. I mean, I'm trying to manage projects, support teams, and then also, you know, support my children and trying to, you know, be a teacher and educate them. It's just, it, it's it's an impossible task. And I think I feel like many other project managers and many other people are feeling right now. I feel like I'm failing because, yeah. you know, I just can't, I can't win for doing right. You know, I spend time on my projects, which means my kids, you know, are, are, you know, sitting there going, mommy, I need some help. Mommy, what yeah. about this? Mommy, play with me. Or then on the other time, I, you know, I spend time with my kids and then my projects are going, Emily, what's going on? Emily, we've got this. Emily, we've got that. So, you know, you just can't win. So I'm just trying to keep everything rolling along without kind of having too many fires and without kind of, you know, burning myself out by working too many hours, you know, once the kids have gone to sleep. Yeah. So have you found anything that is working well in your in your new setup in terms of like how you've been able to schedule your work or manage your work or communicate with people? Is there any is there any part of this that is working yet? Yeah. Do you know what? It's like, I, I've been working virtually. So I'm a, you know, I've done a lot of virtual projects. So I'm used okay. to working virtually. I'm used to working with virtual teams, but right. I am now working with people that are, that are connecting on a virtual, you know, on a virtual landscape for the first time. So, yeah. you know, like they're turning on their webcast and you see them picking their nose or you see them, you know, kind of wondering, hello, can you hear me? 
is anyone there? And yeah. you know, really kind of struggling to kind of get their technology to work. So yeah. I think that's also been one of the things for me that I've really benefited from because I haven't had to have a big learning, um, you know, a big learning curve on, you know, how to use virtual setups. You know, what is the best uh, microphone to use? How to make sure that you're, you know, you're being understood and, you know, that you're using the right time zones. Because, right. you know, now, because my day is, you know, quite split up into different chunks, I try to use that to my advantage. So I chase the sun quite a bit. Um, I start work, you know, before the kids have um, have got up and I really right. start on some emails, make sure that's done, give them breakfast, get them started on things. And then I go back to work for a bit. And then I'm kind of um, trying to utilize my concentration. So I'm splitting everything into like 30 minute, one hour chunks. And trying to kind of get as much done work-wise and then taking a break, sorting the kids out, making sure they're okay, going back to work, and then actually stopping for lunch, which is really nice because then I actually get to, you know, see my kids and really kind of play with them and and really kind of enjoy myself, which is quite nice because it enables me to focus more. And yeah. I And I do find that when I go back to my work, I'm a lot more focused. So I'm now not thinking, oh, you know, what have I got to do now? Oh, I better go and check this. It's, you know, this is my list. Tack, 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 tack. Get it done. So for someone who's beginning maybe in the next few weeks to uh, have to begin to juggle this, what would your what would your top tips be for someone who's, you know, starting to work remotely or trying to manage teams remotely for the first time? Um, what are the things that you find kind of most effective with your kind of remote setup mm -hmm. and and how you manage teams in different time zones and things like that what what really what are the tips what are the things that work for you yeah so one of the things is um i want to try and I, I make sure my planning's up to point so at the end of every day i make sure i've got my task list for the next day so what i've got to achieve what i've got to get done um, right. I also rely on, I use timeanddate.com, but you know, whatever kind right. of virtual scale, uh, you know, like calendar or whatever that has like a yeah. virtual scheduling so that then you can kind of get everything in each location. And the problem at the moment is that Europe is not yet in daylight savings, whereas the US is. So I know that there has been a lot of confusion this week and last week um, when the US had moved over to kind of yeah. say, oh, okay, oh, well, um, the meeting's going to be at four o'clock. Oh, no, wait, it's three o'clock. Oh, wait, we've got a conflict. That kind of thing can be really, really confusing. So make sure you have, you know, technology on your side and make sure that you have everything kind of ready and set up. Um, I'm really lucky that my husband is a technology freak and a technology geek. So I have a great setup home at home with, you know, my standing table, with a good microphone, with a good webcam that I can then connect with my teams. And we have a really good internet setup. So I don't have to worry about, um, you know, bandwidth problems or anything like that. Yeah. So that's also one thing, you know, if you can encourage your, your, you know, your company to pay for this, make sure you have a good monitor, make sure that you've got everything set up so that you are not kind of scrambling or being forced to react and that you've got a good setup to be able to move forward with. Yeah, I think that's, that's solid advice. And I think I, I hear that so many times from people who do work remotely, like your setup is really important. And I think we've actually just made the transition as DPM team into uh, all working remotely. And for the first few days, you know, everyone was kind of getting by with not having their extra monitors, not having their desks. But then 
I just said to the team, guys, this could be, we could be in this for a while. So like make yourself comfortable, get your desk, <laughs> let's get the desks from the office. Let's get the monitors. Um, it's so important that we set ourselves up properly like to succeed rather than thinking, Hey, we can be just as productive as we normally are, you know, sitting with the laptops on our lap, um, kind of squashed in a corner and not with no real desk, or whatever. So the setup is one thing that you can control. So, um, so it's worth investing in because you could be in that position for a long time. So I think that's great advice. But, um, tell us, I mean, obviously you're, you've got a couple of projects. One is being teacher and others being mum and being project manager as well. But, um, in terms of the, uh, the, the project side of things and the work that you're doing with Siemens, can you tell us a bit about, uh, the kind of projects that you work on? Oh, yeah. Well, um, at the moment, I'm doing a real mix between process improvements and software implementation. So software implementation is where we go and implement our solution at clients. Um, and that's kind of really interesting because I love working with clients and I love working with, um, you know, different teams that we get to experience. Um, and then also I'm really lucky within Siemens that we do have the opportunity of being able to do, you know, our interest projects. So I'm really interested in process improvements and coaching people to be, you know, better project managers or better leaders. So I'm really lucky that they give me the opportunity to be able to, to work on those sort of projects as well. It's cool that, yeah, it's cool that that's kind of laid out as a, an opportunity and project for you. So can you tell us a bit about the kind of coaching, um, that you're doing with the team? Yeah, so um, it kind of started out actually really informally. Um, so colleagues would approach me and say, you know, I'm struggling with this. Could you please help me? Um, right. Or, you know, I know that you have um, experience in, you know, in leadership or in managing virtual or remote teams. Can you please give me some advice? And that's kind of where it kind of stemmed from. And um, it's kind of really it's really been a love of mine because I love being able to help and coach people and being able to support them, you know, become better. And it really gives me a lot of motivation to be able to then see my colleagues develop. And I really love that. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. And, and you talked to all touched on their like process improvements as well. And so um, I'm curious if you can kind of explain, because I think probably what you do in terms of these IT uh, software implementation projects can you kind of describe a typical project that you run and then and then lay on top of that kind of the process improvements that you try and um bring into that oh, where to actually begin <laughs> um the, the thing is is you know i look um, I try to live um, a Kaizen approach. So Kaizen is Japanese for constant improvement. So within that, um, every project that I do, I look for where we can improve a process. So either with internal teams or how we work together. And then I like to take that back to my PM team within Siemens and say, you know what, um, this is something that has worked for me. Could this maybe work for you guys as well? And that's why we like to try and see, you know, with every project we do, how can we make it better? How can we um, improve what we do so that then we, when we go to a next client, we can be faster, slicker, more efficient, etc. And, you know, we do have a lot of uh, learning and lessons learned in place that really do support us in that so that then we have a repository that we can, you know, go to and we can use that's really, really also very, very helpful for us. And so these kind of implementation projects that you're doing, so Siemens PLM, that's 
a can you tell us about that tool and what that implementation looks like you, is it that you go to the client's office stick it on a server and then onboard people on how to use it is that a, a gross oversimplification <laughs> Um, well, it really depends because we have different we have different products. That's the thing. So there are many many different products that we have, and it depends on the client and depends on the solution. So it all depends whether you know what solution they're looking for, and also you know I'm kind of I have to be quite sensitive with what I say now because I'm also under um, confidentiality. So there are yeah. certain things that um, with regards to you know how we process and and the projects that we have to be quite careful of mentioning. But we do have a large array of products. So, you know, it's, you know, we've got NX, Solid Edge. We've got all these different kind of areas that can um, support um, a company's ability to be able to do their work. And that's mm. where the whole PLM solution comes in. But there's, it's a really, it, the thing is, and this is why I'm, I'm trying to be sensitive with what I say, is I work in such a small area of PLM that there is so much more around it that if I try and oversimplify it to say, well, this is what I do and this is the entirety of PLM, you're going to think, you know, you get one view of it where actually it is an entire massive beast almost. So that's yeah. why I'm just saying, you know, be a little bit careful because the, the area that I work in is quite niche. Um, and that's why it's very, you know, I try and just kind of keep it, you know, simplified. Yeah. And so, I mean, you talk about um, your Kaizen approach and, you know, trying to, constantly kind of optimize your workflows and processes. Um, and so with these implementations, what are the kind of, what are the most typical challenges that you deal with or are they so varied that um, there's nothing typical about them? Oh, it can be a bit of both. Um, one thing that I often struggle with um, is stakeholder management because when you go obviously to different clients and to different uh, organizations, you are stepping into things that you may not even um, realize as yet. So, you know, there could be politics that you may even not understand for, you know, why someone is behaving in such a way. So I think the biggest thing for me always is going to be stakeholder management, especially when you're working with external customers and external clients, because that is really the toughest thing for me. It's making sure that when I go in, um, you know, I'm not coming into you know, what I would describe as, you know, a boiling pot of water that I'm putting my foot in, that I can mm -hmm. already make sure that I understand what's going on. I understand, uh, you know, what stakeholders are involved. Have we got all the stakeholders, uh, you know, aware and kind of moving forward from that? Because that's going to be the most, you know, important thing, you know, when you get started in an organization or when you go in as a, as a consultant. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, stakeholders are always a tricky one. Especially I think especially when you're in the kind of role that you're doing where you're, you know, you're you're constantly having to deal with new ones. Um, you know, you're where you can, you know, develop relationships over time. Um I think it things get easier eventually, but where you're where you're constantly shifting onto new ones and trying trying to understand different people's motivations and uh, the the this power structures at play and uh who's really in charge who thinks they're in charge all those kind of things they can be difficult to deal with exactly. so talk to me about i mean you're implementing software but what is in your personal pm toolkit for managing projects um i like to think it's uh it's my communication skills um i like to make sure that i i can well i like to think i can read a room so I like to make sure if I go into clients or whatever, I read the circumstances that we're going into. I look at what's going on. 
and then I can lead a team. So one of the things that I sell myself on is my ability to be able to build a team and lead a team. Um, and it's not just as simple as kind of doing a team building exercise or, you know, putting to everyone together in one room. It's really making sure people can work together successfully, um, but also to be able to then support the team wherever they need it to be able to become a success. And, you know, of course, plenty of sticky tape and post-it notes to make sure that everyone's, uh, you know, working as they need to be. Nice. And um, in terms of, you know, sticky notes and um, and tape and that kind of thing, is there anything else that you've found recently that that's making your life awesome? Maybe in terms of remote PMing um, or uh, just the way that you manage your projects using software or something else. Is there anything that you've found recently that everyone should know about that's making PMing better? Yeah, well, I think for me at the moment it is – um, this is going to sound awful, but I think it's the positive things that may be coming uh, and the changing working environment that we have as a result of the coronavirus. I think the coronavirus has exposed a great weakness that we have in a lot of our working processes and how we perform and work. Um, and this has been so critical for me. So one of the other arms of what I do is, yes, I work for Siemens, but I'm also a volunteer. So I often support uh, project managers with coaching and they come to me um, for support. And I also kind of help them occasionally leading projects on a volunteer basis. Um, and one of the things that I have seen in the past really three, four, five weeks has been just how people have struggled to adjust to remote work, but also how they are coming to terms with working in an isolated environment. So social, social isolation, um, you know, making sure that they are connecting with their teams. And um, one of the biggest things I've been supporting at the moment is um, one project manager that has been struggling because they they can't connect with their with their with their team. You know, they are all co-located. They've been in the same location, but now because of Corona, they're being forced to work remotely. And um, he said, you know, I, I just can't connect with them. You know, I can see them on the screen. I can see them on Microsoft Teams, but you know what? I don't care, you know, I, I don't get the feeling that they're working. I don't get the feeling that I can trust them as, uh, you know, yeah. trust them again. And, you know, I think that this has got, you know, this has given us the opportunity to be able to then help people not only develop their skills for remote working, but also to help and show organizations the benefits and the efficiencies that can be given when people are able to work remote. Because that's also been a really kind of, stark thing for for me my friends and my colleagues is how many of them feel like they must go to an office like they must work in one location whereas the best thing about project management and some of the projects is you can work virtually you can work remotely and still be a success and I think that's what a couple of people you know really struggle to kind of get their head around that this could actually be a successful um, endeavor to go on and I really do hope that organizations look at the benefits that have come from, you know, their teams working remotely, work-life balance, and, you know, build on that moving forward. Yeah, no, that's great. And I know that, yeah, again, talking about the, the DPM team and how we have now become dispersed, I think there is a, uh, there are kind of growing pains, as it were, into, if, if you're used to working together in the same room or in the same office, um, as soon as you start having to um, be more thoughtful about communication, 
um, things can, you know, it, it's tricky, right? You can't just turn around and just distract someone and ask them uh, to answer your question. You have to think, okay, how am I going to communicate? What's the best way of communicating this? What's the most efficient way? And I think, yeah, retraining ourselves to um, kind of optimize those communication channels and methods, I think is is really important. Because I think what I found with my team is that, okay, so everyone, we, we had Slack. And so everyone now defaults to having a Slack conversation because it was a, you know, it's a, it's a channel that we already had. But then they're having communications that really should be conversations uh, and that would b- work better as a, you know, as a quick video chat or something. And that people are used just to typing. And so I think we kind of very quickly, if we're not careful, um, start adopting bad habits in terms of remote working where things do become more inefficient. So I think it's really worth taking that step back and thinking, okay, as a team, working out your communications plan, what are the rhythms going to be? How are we going to communicate to others? Uh, what methods are we going to use to communicate? What kind of message? If it's kind of asynchronous communication or if there's synchronicity in it, let's have a conversation live using video so we feel that connection. And I think uh, it's worth thinking about as we're developing our kind of remote toolkit and how we begin to work independently uh, in isolation of one another um, so that we can be efficient in the way that we work. So I think that's that's solid advice. And let's move on now to talk about um, your post that uh, is all about work breakdown structure, which again is in a way a communications tool. It's a tool that helps us understand what exactly is going to be delivered on a project and how it's how it kind of fits together but for anyone who hasn't read your post yet on work breakdown structure can you tell us what it's all about well i would say go and read it come on what are you waiting for <laughs> um, but really the the article is basically everything that you need to know about you know what a work brand, what what a work breakdown structure is um, you know, how to make a good quality one, why does it matter, and everything around, um, you know, what a WBS is. Because the one thing that I see, especially when I've been coaching junior project managers, is, um, you know, they may have may have read something online, like, oh, I think I know what this, word, what, you know, what this, um, what this Gantt chart is, but they don't actually understand it. They don't understand what makes it up. Why do you put something in one place that you don't in another? You know, how can you get people aligned? Why do you need to, you know, put uh, named resources rather than departments? And that's why I uh, wanted to create an article and a post that would really clear it all out and would really show people, you know, this is what it is. Break it down into real baby steps. You know, this is what it is. This is what you need to know. And this is why it is important for you. Because then, you know, if you are a junior project manager and, you know, you're coming in and you maybe don't want to ask because you feel a bit silly or maybe you don't want to ask because, you know, you don't want to look like you're, you know, an amateur, then, you know, this article can really help you, you know, really make a good foundation and a good basis for your project. Great. And so in terms of understanding like the basics then of work breakdown structure, um, it is the, a breakdown of the work. It's, it's how we think about the work, how we break it down into component pieces, and then the structure of the work as well. So it kind of shows the hierarchy yeah. of what that work 
looks like kind of in a in a puzzle how the pieces fit together to form the whole um and and it shows us different kind of levels of of the work and how the components relate to, to one another that way yeah but in terms of using this work breakdown structure i've got to be honest as a pm is not something i use so i'm curious as to your kind of use case for the work breakdown structure personally i tend to just roll straight into creating a gantt chart um so talk me through the kind of the pros and cons of uh, gantt chart work breakdown structure how those two things relate to one another and and kind of how and why it's useful do you know ah <laughs> i i will answer this but i really want to turn it back for why don't you why do you go straight into a gantt chart why don't you try and kind of you know think it out do a, a proper thought process before and the reason i ask that is because if you start out um you know looking at the inputs for a work breakdown structure looking at the documents that kind of go into it having that understanding of the tasks the activities that you're going to be doing um you know and then looking at potentially also the resource and the utilization of that why do you already start with a gantt chart why don't you kind of go back is it because you already think you know what's going to be happening or where where what is yeah. your understanding there <laughs> yeah it, i guess it comes down to um it it comes down to i guess the complexity for me i mean there's two ways of doing a work breakdown structure right there's you can it can be deliverables based or it can be activities based so deliverables yeah. where we're like looking at the deliverables trying to break down those down those deliverables into the component pieces so that we can understand okay when we're saying we're going to deliver x this is what we mean it has two these two things make x and these three these three other things make up that component so it's breaking down the deliverables where the deliverables are complex or ambiguous um to provide clarity for everybody these are the things this is how the work this is what the work breakdown looks like and this is how it's structured i guess the other way is more activities based and uh breaking down those activities into the component pieces uh or the almost like the process and and so it for me in my gantt chart i'm combining those two things together so yeah i think i would say in the projects that i typically work with um the deliverables are less ambiguous um <clears throat> in terms of hey if if i'm saying we're going to deliver a template um then a template is a template and i don't really need to break it down into the deliverables much further and the activities that go into that are quite predictable so maybe it's about predictability um i don't know do you do you use more deliverables or activities based yeah um for me it's more it's a real mixture so i tend to in my projects i tend to use more activities um with uh, the core focus being on the deliverables at the end um but what i have seen and you know the reason that i created the template that i did and also how i phrased it is because in the projects that i have seen so not necessarily my projects but the ones of peers and in different organizations it has been a real mix between deliverables and activities and you know the milestones which are there to kind of really give a good overview of you know what makes um a solid work breakdown structure because the thing is and also what i have seen is 
a Gantt chart and a work breakdown structure, they are really unique to a project manager. So what my one looks like and what your one looks like may be completely different depending on um, where you put the emphasis or where I put the emphasis. And, um, you know, that's why I've tried to also make it very clear for, you know, what are the necessary inputs and outputs that you need? And then you can always do some personalization yourself if you want to put more of a heavy basis on activities or things like that. But then I also wanted to also make sure that everyone was very much aware of what not to do. You know, try not to put things in too much detail or, um, you know, not go into enough detail. So to find that nice balance. And I think that's also one thing that you learn being a project manager is what is that level of detail for you and your organization to make the best work down work breakdown structure for your projects as well. And so, yeah, let's talk about how you use that work breakdown structure, because obviously it's it's a tool that we use to create clarity around how the project kind of all fits together. And I think that that's yeah. what we're definitely aligned on. Um, these are the component pieces. This is what has to happen in order for the project to be a success. So it's, it's, it's not, it doesn't show the schedule as much as how the component pieces of it. And so how do you, how do you use that work breakdown structure? Cause I think I know with a Gantt chart, which is obviously the project schedule, it can show the resources, the, the different tasks and durations, dependencies and critical path. Yeah. It shows how the, the flow of the project works. Whereas the work breakdown structure is kind of another slice <laughs> of uh, a different way of looking at the project. So how do you use the Gantt chart and the work breakdown structure um, in terms of a communications tool with the, with the stakeholder and the team? What are you, how are you playing with those two documents? Yeah. So for me, one thing that I like to try and make sure of is that um, whenever I talk to stakeholders and whenever I talk to my team, I use which document is going to be the best reflection or the best use for them. So, for example, if I show my sponsor the very, you know, very, very detailed work breakdown structure, they're going to look at it and go, uh-huh, what? Whereas my team are going to really want that level of detail. are going to really want to understand, you know, every single part of it. So I try and look at, you know, whichever stakeholder that I'm approaching, what document is going to be uh, the best view for them. And also when you do create a work breakdown structure, you know, making it as easy for you to update, but also as easy for you to create as many different views as possible. So, you know, I like to kind of mix between either Excel or project. I'm kind of easy on which one and which software I use. Um, but I also like to try and make sure that I can amend and detail whatever I need to for which stakeholder. So, you know, if it's one that needs more of a high level or whichever needs a detailed, I can do that. Now, what I like to try and do and the way I run my projects is I base all of my updates based upon these documents. So, you know, when I'm talking to teams about, you know, where are we on specific tasks or ownerships? Um, you know, I'm basing it on what is in this um, document. I'm not trying to have three or four different meetings. I update the one single document and that becomes the core basis of our project. And having that one or two documents um, really kind of saves me time. And that's, mm. that's the main thing you want as a project manager. You want to be able just to make sure that you are utilizing your time as effectively as possible. Um, and that's why I also try to make sure that, you know, you know, I call it the Bible. If, um, you know, if my work breakdown structure, if my Gantt chart says this and you're saying 
uh, something different. We need to have a discussion about that. We need to see why and where this different lies and, you know, what is going to be the best, you know, the best thing moving forward. Do I need to amend my, my documents or is this something where you need to go back and adjust either what you're doing or the activities that have been listed? So for me, it is the basis of every single meeting that I go into with relation to the project. And it's also a communication tool for every single stakeholder and project team member that I have in my projects. Yeah. And so in terms of keeping it up to date, this is something along with your status report and your your Gantt yeah. chart, you're, you're updating throughout the project. Yeah. So what I like to do is I try and I try and schedule um, times, you know, either during the, it depends on obviously the duration of the project here. So I try to schedule maybe twice a week to be able to go into detail to make sure that all of my project artifacts are up to date. Because I know that, you know, if you don't do this, it can lead to problems and, you know, issues with the documents not being up to date. Um, and that's where it all goes wrong. And this is also why, you know, if you are updating these documents um, so regularly, you need to make sure that it's not cumbersome. Um, so you need to, you know, verify the level of detail that you have so that, you know, you have enough level of, you know, have enough detail in your plan for you to be able to talk to your project team. But you also need it not to be so cumbersome that you're tracking them on, you know, a 30 minute task where it takes longer for you to write it in, get an update and, and get it done than it does for them to actually complete the task. So yeah. it's, it's really important to find that level of balance in your, in your documentation. Yeah. And so, um, and where you see things falling apart <laughs> where where does for someone who's new to work breakdown structures um who's reading your article and thinking okay yeah i can do this um what are the where does the work breakdown structure typically fall apart for you like where do things go wrong is it in that um sizing of tasks or activities um or is it in something else normally it is in the sizing of activities um but the one thing that i have actually seen um you know, quite a few times is their inputs are wrong. So they're basing their entire project on maybe incomplete artifacts. So maybe when they're looking at creating the work breakdown structure and they realize that they don't actually have several of the inputs that they may need to be able to create it properly. And they go forward with assumptions. And I, I have a funny thing, which I kind of say in my, in my workshops. And I say, assumptions make asses out of you and me because of the ass U-M-E. So if you make an assumption, you know, you really are just, um, you know, setting yourself up to fail. Um, so one thing that I often see is either they are basing it on maybe incomplete or not sufficient data, or they're trying to be too detailed in what they're asking. So, you know, they're either trying to get an update for a task that took five minutes or they're trying to try and see how, you know, how detailed they can make a project plan. Now, I remember in my very early days, I made this mistake. I did, I think it was a 1200 line project plan. And I thought yeah. I was the, I thought I was the bee's knees. You know, everything is so detailed. I've got this fantastic plan. It shows everything. I've got my inputs. I've got my outputs. I've got my resources. How many times do you think I managed to update it properly? Not a lot. No. Yeah. 
Um, so that's why, you know, I learned the hard way because I tried to, you know, make it as detailed as physically possible. But then when, you know, when you get into the execution of your project and, you know, you're running around, you've got things to do. The last thing that you want to be doing is spending time on updating, uh, you know, updating tasks when, you know, it's already done or, you know, you can't necessarily get the input from uh, from the team member at the time. So it's just, you know, you have to learn from your own experience, but also learn from, you know, my failures, because I don't want anyone else to make the same mistakes that I've done. (laughs) Well, that's very kind of you. And so, yeah, if you are thinking about, uh, well, I think, I think this is the work breakdown stretch is a great tool to use. If you find that in your projects, there is confusion around maybe how, the project is going to work, the activities that are going to go into it, the outputs that are going to come out of it. Um, it's great if you need to create clarity uh, on the project. And I think this can this can be a really useful tool if you find your you know projects are a bit wishy-washy. Um, the work breakdown structure is a great way of clarifying those, what comes out of the end of this. We've got this project life cycle, the project's born, it happens and then it ends, and then we, we're left with these uh, with these artifacts, these deliverables, and the work breakdown structure gives us clarity on what those things will be. So if you find that you're in a situation where people are getting confused, uh, really think about a work breakdown structure and how that could help you as a communications tool uh, for your project. Uh, you might find that it's super useful. So check it out on the digitalprojectmanager.com. Um, but before we go, for someone who's kind of half listening in the car, um, what would what would be your tip? What would be the one thing that you would say to someone who's trying to do a work brain down structure for the first time, and they're thinking, "Hey, I read the post. Um, I kind of I kind of get what it's about." Um, but for you, like, what's the one thing to kind of keep in mind or remember uh, for someone who's new to work brain down structures and is beginning to find the whole thing overwhelming? as they're just creating this massive thing. What's the, what's the one piece of advice you'd give? Just break it down into manageable chunks. Don't try and make it too cumbersome, but also don't try and leave it too high. You know, look at your overall project and make sure that whatever you're making is going to be realistic for you to be able to update, but also is going to be in enough level of detail that you're going to be able to actually have discussions on this. And just like you said, you need to be able to see the overview to be able to see if there are any weaknesses or any gaps that you need to be filling before you get into, you know, full length project planning, because the work breakdown structure can be a great um, example and an exercise to be able to perform this. Yeah, I think that's that's really solid advice. And my view on this is that, yeah, look at the big picture. The work breakdown structure is all about the big picture. And I think it can be tempting to go really deep into one component. Like we, we start at the beginning of the project, we go really, really deep and then we start getting bored and then we, you know, don't go to the same depth. So I think breadth is the, is a great place to start and then begin to add depth would be my advice. Um, so that you get that big full picture of what the work breakdown looks like. And then you can appropriately go into depth on the bits that need more clarification or detail. But Emily, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been great having you with us. Thank you very much for having me. And I wonder what you listeners think. What are your hacks, tips and tricks for work breakdown structures? Do you use them or not? How do you use them with Gantt charts? Uh, Let us know in the comments below. Let us know what works and what doesn't work. 
We'd love to hear your fail stories or wins about work breakdown structure. And if you want to learn more and get ahead in your work, come and join our tribe with DPM membership. Head to the digitalprojectmanager.com forward slash membership and get access to our Slack team, templates, workshops, masterminds, office hours, ebooks and more and if you like what you heard today please subscribe and take a couple of minutes to leave a review for us on apple Podcasts. we love our fans and please don't ruin our magical five-star rating but until next time thanks for listening Bye.